Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Thank you everyone for being here this morning with us. We are certainly privileged that you have chosen to come and worship the Lord at Elevation Worship Center. And uh, pray the Lord will just bless you this morning. How many of you know it was just about a year ago, it was just about a year ago that the Board of Elders and myself determined that we had found a piece of property that we wanted to uh, purchase. And we walked into the property with some equity and we signed a five-year note saying that we would um, make a payment every quarter on that property. So we would make the payments quarterly. We signed a note that said that we would pay it off in five years at a 3.5. And I told you then when we signed that note, I said my intent is to pay it off within a year. How many of you remember that? Well, I, I want you to know we could have paid this off in October. We could have paid this off in October. But there's a few things kind of happening and, and we just wanted to be a good steward with what the Lord had blessed us with. But I hold in my hand, now don't anybody freak out, this is not the real one. <laughs> this is a copy of the real one. But I hold in my hand the note that we signed. And I am pleased to tell you this morning that it is paid in full. Amen. To God be all of the glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I will make sure that gets taken home and put through the shredder because I don't want any lingering information around there. Uh, but I'm just really, really praising the Lord for the things that he's done. And, and, and you know what? I mean, really, in reality, we are only a four-year-old body. God is doing good things, and there are some good things on the horizon. There are some good things on the horizon. And I, I would just tell you right up front, as I have shared with you before, this is not about me. It is not about any one of the elders. It is about elevating and lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I'm concerned with. I'm desirous to elevate and bring people into a closer walk with the Lord. He is the one that makes a difference. That's it. It's all about him. Can you say amen? amen? So anyway, just continue to pray, continue to be faithful, and continue to uh, be a blessing to the Elevation body and the church family. And, and I just know God has something good in store for us in the months and in the days that are ahead. And, uh, and, and I thank the Lord for all of his goodness, all of his blessings. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning and want to share with me the scriptures that I'm going to be speaking about today, we're going to turn over to a real familiar passage of scripture. If you were raised in church or you've read the scripture for some time or at any length of time, I'm sure that you are familiar with the text that we're going to be reading. And you can find it in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, and beginning with the 25th verse. So Luke chapter 10, verse number 25. Luke chapter 10, 
and verse number 25. Chapter 10, verse number 25. Then an expert in Moses' teaching, the King James says a lawyer, a scholar, an expert in the Moses or in Moses' teachings, stood up and he had one purpose in mind, to test Jesus. I'm reading the God's Word translation. And he asked, teacher or master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how many of you know that coming from a biblical scholar, that should be a pretty primary answer, right? He should know that. So he stands and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him, what is written in Moses' teachings? What do you read there? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart or with all of your soul, with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus told him, you're right. Do this and life will be yours. But the man wanting to be justified in his question, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man went down from Jericho or from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, robbers stripped him, beat him, and left him for dead. And by chance, a priest was traveling along that road. And when he saw the man, he went around him. The King James says that he passed by on the other side of the road. And he continued on his way. Then a Levite came to that place, and when he saw the man, he too went around him and continued on his way. But a Samaritan, as he was traveling along, came across the man, and when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion for the man. And he went to him, and he cleaned and bandaged up his wounds. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, the Samaritan who had rescued this victim. The next day, the Samaritan took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. And he told the innkeeper, take care of him. And if you spend more than this, then I will pay you on my return trip. And Jesus says to the lawyer, of these three men, who do you think was neighbor to the man who was attacked by the robbers? And the expert in the law, or the lawyer, the scholar, said the one that had kindness enough to help him. And Jesus says to him, go and imitate his example. The King James says, go and do thou likewise. We are commissioned to do likewise. 
And I'm going to stop reading right there this morning. And I would ask that you just bow your heads and allow us to pray. And you pray with me this morning that the Lord will anoint his word and will anoint me to be a vessel to speak through. Heavenly Father, what a great privilege that it is for us to be able to come together in your name and to have the promise that when we gather in your name, you are in our midst. Thank you this morning, Lord, for the songs of praise that have been sung and for the spirit of the Lord that we have sensed and that we have felt and that we know you are among us. We come now, Lord, to the reading of your word, and I would simply ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. Bless me to expound upon these verses. In and of my own self, I am inadequate, and I am completely incapable. I look to you. You are my sufficiency. Put your thoughts in my mind, your words in my mouth, your Holy Spirit empower what is spoken through these lips of clay. Above all things, I pray that Christ will be glorified, that these that hear, both here in this sanctuary and that will listen to this message on the internet, I pray that they will sense the anointing and the presence of the living God, that it would be empowered by the anointing of the Lord that you would touch hearts and lives and cause us to be changed deep within before we leave this place because of your word and because of your Holy Spirit. Bless me now to be a blessing. Oh, thank you. I feel that, Lord. I ask these things in the mighty and wonderful name of your Savior, our Savior. Your son, Jesus Christ. Everybody in agreement said amen. amen. Wow. I just, excuse me a minute. I just about got lost in that one. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to title my message this morning, Some Will... And some won't. Some will and some won't. This morning as we begin, I want to tell you or I want to relate to you a story that appeared in the New York Times. It appeared in the New York Times March the 27th, 1964. That was a long time ago. Can you say amen? I was four years old. New York Times headline news, March the 27th, 1964. And the story that I want to relate to you this morning is both tragic and horrific. It's horrifying. However, I want you to know right up front that the events that I am about to share with you are absolutely true. On March the 27th, 1964, the headlines of the New York Times read the the murder of Catherine Genovanese. And the story underneath that headline says, approximately at 3.20 a.m. on the morning of March 13th, 1964, 
a 28-year-old female, Catherine Genovese, was returning to her middle-class apartment home in Queens, New York, after pulling a double shift. She parks her car in the parking lot, turned off the lights, and then she started to walk to her second-floor apartment uh, some 35 yards away. She got as far as the street light on the corner when Winston Mosley stepped out from the shadows and grabbed her. Catherine's screams could be heard. He steps out of the shadows and grabs a hold of her and Catherine screams to the top of her lungs. And a light on the 10th floor of an apartment on her building comes on. It was reported later that Catherine screamed, my God, he has stabbed me. He's trying to kill me. Help. A light comes on on the 10th floor of the apartment and a man's voice can be heard yelling out the window, let the girl alone. And the assailant looks up and drops Catherine to the side. And starts walking down the the sidewalk. Starts walking down the street. Catherine is struggling to get to her feet. The story continues. She is struggling to get to her feet. And the light in the 10th floor apartment goes out. And the assailant returned and stabbed her again. Again, she began to scream as best she could. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. The light on the 10th floor came back on and other lights in the apartment building that she lived in, her neighbors, began to come on and people began to peer out the window. But no one moved a finger to help. When the lights began to come on again, the attacker stabbed her the second time as she cried for help. He's trying to kill me. And this time, all of the other lights in the apartments begin to come on. And once again, when the assailant saw the lights coming on in the apartment building, he pushed her to the side and he began to walk down the street again. He got in his car and he drove off down the street, Catherine bleeding and wounded, trying to get to her feet, trying to get to her feet, sees a city bus drive by. The bus driver never gave her the time of day. He just went right on by. No one from the apartment complex, no one that had been looking out the windows, no one that had turned on the light, even the one that had hollered from the 10th floor, no one came to help. Catherine makes her way into the apartment building and she stumbles to the doorway of the apartment complex where she collapsed at the foot of the stairs, bleeding out. It was now 3.35 a.m., the story tells us. And again, I remind you, this is a true story. 
It was now 3.35 a.m., and I know it sounds completely absurd, but no one came to help her, and the assailant returned for a third time. This time, he found her at the base of the stairs, bleeding and, and literally almost incapacitated. He stabbed her a third time, and this time, it fatally wounded her and killed her. And no one came to help. The first police call was received at 3.50 a.m. Remember that this whole uh, ordeal began at 3.20. He stabs her for the third time fatally. And finally, there is someone that picks up a phone and calls the police. Within two minutes, the police were on the scene. But it was already too late. Catherine was dead. Again, I remind you this morning, it is an absolutely true story. You can simply Google her name, Catherine Genovese. You can find it on Wikipedia. You can find a ton of stories of how it went down. This incident became a defining moment in urban apathy. When it happened, there were many that called the incident shocking, no doubt. It's still shocking. Many called what happened bizarre because no one wanted to become involved. No one wanted to uh, choose to investigate the screams of a young woman in a desperate situation. There were onlookers, but no one wanted to be involved. There were those that could have helped if they so chose, but no one chose to help. Everyone chose to look the other way. And the prevailing question that filled the newspapers in the months that was to follow was what in the world is wrong with these people? What in the world is wrong? How could someone just stand by and watch someone in such a desperate need and never become involved? You say, Pastor Gary, that is a horrifying story. Why in the world would you start off your Sunday morning message telling us a story like that? Because it is literally the equivalent of the first century story that we have read in our text this morning. They really are one and the same. The narrative begins in verse number 25. And the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And again, I want you to understand he is called a lawyer not because he is a criminal attorney or he has anything to do with the judicial system. He is called a lawyer because he is supposed to be a scholar of the, of the, of the old covenant and a scholar of the, the old covenant law, the Mosaic teaching. He is supposed to be an expert in the law, the question that he asks Jesus is basically, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's basically asking, what must I do to be saved? 
When he asked Jesus the question about eternal life, he was basically asking Jesus, what is it that you see as being an essential part of gaining eternal life? Now, I want that to sink in to your spirit this morning. He's asking Jesus, what do you see as an an essential part of gaining eternal life? Jesus knew he was a scholar. Jesus knew that he was a, a, a teacher of the law. He's basically trying to set Jesus up so that he will incriminate himself. He's basically trying to set Jesus up to say something contrary to the law so that he might catch him in his words. And I can just, in the theater of my mind, I can almost see Jesus smiling as he throws the question back in the lap of the lawyer. Look at verse 26. He says to him, What is written in the law? How seest it? What seest thou? What readest thou? What is your reading of it? In other words, amen, this lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus just simply turned the tables on him. He knew he was trying to catch him, amen, and and find something contrary in his words. And Jesus just switched it around and said, you're a teacher of the law. How do you read it? You tell me what you think. And the man says to him, and he would have been quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 11, and Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse number 3. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And the second, like unto this, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to just get a picture of this. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, what do you think? How do you read it? And I want you to get a picture of this. This teacher of the law would have had hanging between his eyes what they call phylacteries. A large scroll of scripture because in the law, the Bible teaches that that they were to keep the commandments of the law before their eyes. And their interpretation of that was write the scripture on a scroll, roll it up and hang it on your forehead. They were called phylacteries. In fact, Jesus, uh, he... he, he, uh, corrected some of the Pharisees one day when he said, you made large your phylacteries so that you can be seen of men. I mean, you know, they didn't have a little scroll. It wasn't like a little rolled up, you know, thing that comes out of a, a Chinese fortune cookie. No, no, no. They got big rolls. I mean, they, they got big scrolls. I want everybody to know that I got the law in front of my eyes. So get a picture of that. He says, Lord, What must I do to inherit life or eternal life? Jesus says, I don't know. You got that big thing hanging between your noggin there. You tell me what you read. What do you think it says? 
Amen. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. Jesus was saying, good answer. Now go do it. But the lawyer, like every good lawyer, he wanted to find a loophole in the law. He says, well, I, I, I think I probably got the first one down. I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, with all my strength, with all my mind. Amen. But I, I don't know if I got that love your neighbor thing down. You tell me, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? I want to know. I want to know who I'm supposed to love and I want to know how much I'm supposed to love them. Who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. Verse 29 says, but wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, he wanted to make himself seem right in his relationship with God. He measured himself by both commandments uh, that he knew were part of the law of God. And he knew, amen, by keeping the first one, amen, by loving the Lord. But he, but he also knew that keeping of the second one depended upon how Jesus defined neighbor. I mean, you know, it's easy for us to love folks that love us. Hello? Amen. He said, well, listen, all right, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? The folks that do good to me? The folks that love me? Or the unlovable? Who is my neighbor? Oftentimes we are just like that lawyer. We would like to believe that loving our neighbor means loving people who love us or at least loving people who are lovable. Can you say amen? And not everyone, amen, is lovable. Not in the natural. You have to have, amen, you have to have that agape love, that, that godly love down in your heart. So we tried to reduce or we tried to deduct and, and we tried to make loving our neighbor doing nice things for people who will probably do nice things for us in return. Right? Amen. We have that tendency. We just want to do good things for good people. We just want to do good things for folks that will do good things back for us. But the lawyer's question has basically what, I, what, have I, what have I got to do to get in? And, and, and he says, but I, I have no doubt that when Jesus began to explain this uh, story or this parable to him, amen, no doubt his mind would have been blown. Jesus begin to tell, begins to tell him what true compassion looks like. Jesus defines who our neighbor is with the story of, of what we have come to know, the Good Samaritan. 
And if you still have your Bible open this morning, the scripture says that this journey, this, this story of the Good Samaritan, the journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, amen, is well known for its danger. That trip between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem, it was, it was well known in history because there were thieves and it was a rough and rocky road and, 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 and there were thieves that inhabited that area so much so that they literally referred to that little stretch of highway as the bloody way. So those that heard this story there that morning, amen, it was a very believable story to them. And Jesus says to them, he says to them, a certain man, look at verse 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Let me just tell you something this morning. I believe that, amen, the story that we are about to embark upon teaches us several things. And number one, it teaches us that compassion needs to be based upon need and not the worth of the individual that's in need. Hello? You say, Pastor Gary, do you have any scripture for that? Yeah, Jesus is our example. The Bible said that he commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means when we were lost in sin and unlovable and ugly in our sin, Jesus came anyway to die for us. His compassion Amen. His compassion was based upon our need and not our worth. Our compassion should be driven not by the worth of the recipient, but by the need of the recipient. Jesus says a certain man, a certain man, put that in quotations. Amen. Jesus doesn't go into a lot of detail of telling us what the worth of the victim was. Uh, amen. He was more focused upon the need of the victim. He didn't tell us, you know, whether he was a Jewish man. He didn't tell us amen, whether he was a good man. Maybe he was another priest. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know what his worth was, but we know he had a great need. And our compassion this morning, amen, needs to be based not upon the worth of the recipient, but on the, amen, on the need of the person that has the need. This man is robbed and he is wounded and left for dead. He needs or he has a need in the worst way. Amen. He has a need in the worst way as the unknown victim lies beside the road. A series of three individuals encounter him. The first one that passes by, you will find him in verse number 31. And it is the priest. Verse number 31 says, now... By chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest comes down the road. But when he sees the man, he crosses over. Amen. And continues his journey. 
He doesn't want to become involved. He doesn't want to sacrifice anything in order to be a help. This priest that I'm talking about this morning has often been excused by some down through time or down through the years by saying that he must not have wanted to touch an individual that was dead because in the old Mosaic law, a person that was dead, if if a priest touched a person who was dead, they would be considered defiled until the sun went down. And this priest is, or this priest here has been excused by not helping by the, some folks saying that he, was, he might have ceremonially made himself unclean and not be able to do his part at the temple. And so thereby he passed by on the other side. But there's a little flaw with that. There's a little flaw with that theology. The Bible said that they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He wasn't on his way to the temple. He was on his way from the temple. Can I just stop for a minute this morning to tell you that we are priests and kings unto our God. And oftentimes we are just like this priest. Uh, We go to the house of God and we worship and we lift our hands uh, and we sing our praise uh, and we feel the Holy Spirit touching uh, and strengthening our heart. And we walk out of the building and we remain unchanged and unwilling to help others. Some will and some won't. This priest, he was not going to the temple. He had already been to the temple. He had already done his service unto the Lord. He had already carried out his duties. You would think this morning that that's one of the most shocking parts of this story, that a man of God, a woman of God, would turn the other way and refuse to become involved in a person who had been beaten and stripped and robbed and wounded and was left for dead. No, help me, Jesus. Sometimes we are spiritually just like the folks in the apartment complex. We see the needs of others and we hear the cries for help. And we may even turn on our light and look out the window. But hey, I want to tell you something this morning. God is looking for people that will get involved. God is looking for somebody that will not just see the need, but will respond to the need. Mm. This priest was taught in the scriptures. Are we not taught in the scriptures? This priest was entrusted to offer sacrifices for the sin of the people. Are we not, uh, amen, privileged to offer the sacrifice of praise uh, and to lift up our holy hands unto the Lord? Uh, Amen. This priest was allowed uh, to go into the temple further than any of his, uh, amen, any of his fellow brethren. Are we not? uh, The veil in the temple is rent. Uh, Are we not privileged any time to go boldly before the throne of grace? uh, And enter into the presence of God. Yes. And yet the priest refused to get involved. 
Oh, God. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to see a need and close up my heart of compassion and say, let somebody else do it. I wonder how many people in that apartment complex looked out the window and saw a young 28-year-old woman being stabbed to death and in need and said, I don't want to get involved. Somebody will help her. Let somebody else do it. Beloved, listen, God is looking for us to do it. The second passerby, again, a religious man, a Levite of the sons of Aaron, those who served in the temple. The second passerby is introduced in verse number 32. The Bible says, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. He came and he looked. And he passed by on the other side. He walked right up to the man and he looked. How many of you know what they call rubbernecking? You know, when you're going down the road and you've seen a little fender bender and you're like, oh. When I see that, I'm like, oh my God, please just drive. I'm going to run you over back here. Just drive. Yes. <laughs> My wife, my wife is back there giving me away. I'm always like, oh, good job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. Pray for me. <laughs> this Levite, he, he goes over and he, he literally looks and he rubbernecks the whole incident. And then he passes by on the other side. Doesn't want to become involved. I don't want no trouble. I don't, want to, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I mean, you know, usually helping someone in need is an inconvenience. Hello? You know why it's an inconvenience to us? Because we are all about us. I could preach there for about a half hour, but I'll move on. Both of these men, the priest and the Levite, saw the man but ignored the need. Both of them were religious professionals. They were caught up in their religion, but their religion had no effect upon them. It brought no change in their heart. It brought no change. It brought no compassion in their heart. They were just simply going through the motions without being radically changed on the inside. Let me ask you this morning, amen, does your relationship with the Lord bring about a change in your heart that causes you to have compassion for those that are in need? And I'm here to tell you, some will and some will not. Some do and some don't. Some will and some won't. The question comes down to what about us? What will we do? Do you care enough to get involved with the needs of others? Do you care enough to put yourself out and be inconvenienced uh, and maybe even have to spend some time uh, and some finance, uh, amen, and spend a little effort uh, in order to be a blessing to someone that's in need? Or do you just want to shut out the light and go back to bed? 
Well, let me tell you what happens when we shut out the light and go back to bed. People are perishing along the road of life. Amen. And we are the ones that can help them. Real compassion is based not on the worth of the recipient. Well, I would get involved, but they ain't worthy of it. Listen, amen, real compassion is not, amen, whether the need is based upon their worth, but the the real compassion is based upon their simple need. Pray this morning that God will help us to realize that we need to reach out to those who are hurting and those who are in need. Compassion feels something. Real compassion feels something on the inside. In verse number 33, the Bible said, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him, Here comes, the priest goes by on the other side. The Levite goes by on the other side. And here comes the third person of the equation. And he is a Samaritan of all things. A Samaritan. And he had compassion upon him. Now, why do you say of all things? Because I want you to understand this morning that the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with one another. They hated each other. The Jews considered the Samaritans a second-class citizen. Why? Because they didn't serve the same God. And so, therefore, they looked down their nose at them and called them dogs. Do you remember the woman that came to Jesus and said, have mercy on me? And Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Amen. The Jews had no dealings with one another. Do you remember when the little woman was sitting at the edge of the well and Jesus came by and started talking to her and the disciples showed up and said, what in the world? He's talking to a Samaritan woman. She even said, why are you speaking to me? When the Jews and the Samaritans have no dealings with one another, why are you talking to me? Now understand the the significance of this in the parable. A priest goes by, he's Jewish. A Levite goes by, he's Jewish. He's of the sons of Aaron. A Samaritan comes by. And the Jews think they're a second class citizen. And the Samaritan sees the Jewish man bleeding, hurting, in need, and he has compassion for him. It would have been shocking enough for Jesus just to simply tell this story, but to make the individual that helped a Samaritan would just blow this lawyer's mind. Amen. He says... When he saw him, he had compassion upon him. This Samaritan saw the same pitiful man lying in agony by the roadside and his heart churned on the inside of him and he just couldn't go on by without stopping and without helping. I pray this morning that we will come to that same place in our life that when we see a need, we will minister to that need. Amen. It will not just pass it off lightly. Amen. I'm here here to tell you this morning, God is looking for somebody that'll have enough compassion to stop, help, and get involved. 
Amen. I'm going to tell you this morning, we can talk about the things of God and we can talk about the goodness of God, but what people are looking for is if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. That's all right. You can go ahead and clap if you want to. Amen. People are looking for something that is genuine and real and not just words. Words are just words. Actions speak louder than words. Can you say amen? Or maybe actions speak louder than words unless I'm preaching. (laughs) I don't know. Hello? God is looking for someone who will take action. Actions testify of a change in our nature because our fleshly nature is to be selfish and withdraw and not get involved and not be a help and not be a part. Amen. But God's looking for somebody that will get involved and be a help and be a blessing because it testifies that we've been changed from the inside out. This Samaritan, there's no logical reason in the world that he should stop and help. There's no logical reason for him to rearrange his schedule, spend his money to help an enemy. There's no logical reason whatsoever for him to get involved. It's not going to change his status in society He's still going to be considered a second-class citizen. It's not going to elevate him to some privileged place. If he gets involved, he has no real reason to rearrange, no logical reason to rearrange his schedule and say, I need to help. I need to do something. But compassion, real compassion, desires to do something. Real compassion comes with a desire to do something. Not only was the Samaritan's compassion based on need rather than worth of the victim, but it caused the Samaritan to feel something so deeply on the inside that he had to express action. And look at verse 34. The Bible says, so he went to him bandaged up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He's the only one that doesn't pass by on the other side. In fact, he moves toward the injured man. He moves toward those in need. That needs to be our course of action. I don't want to just sit in the four walls of a building, amen, and, and, and worship the Lord and say, praise God, isn't, isn't the Lord wonderful? No, I want to go beyond the walls. I want to go outside of the church walls. I want to go into the highways and the byways uh, and compel people to come in and have a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Amen, I don't want to just enjoy it for myself. It's too good to keep to myself. Brother, we ought to go to others and say, you've got to come to know this Jesus uh, that's in my heart. Mm. We need to move toward the need. 
we, compassion brings expression. In order to build relationships with people, it's not something that is mystically or something that mystically just happens. Uh, it takes a concentrated effort on our part. Amen. And it is often inconvenient. It is often inconvenient. I don't want you to forget this morning that the Samaritan is moving toward the man who has the need. Someone who subconsciously would despise him. And irregardless of that, he goes to him to endeavor to help. Jesus says six verbs in this, in this setting of scripture. Six verbs. A verb is an action word. He says six descriptive words that are so powerful that I, I, you might just want to underline them in your Bible. The Bible says that the Samaritan, he went to him. He wasn't willing to just lay back. He wasn't willing to just turn on the light and holler from the rooftop. He's willing to get involved. He went to him. And he sees the need and he bandaged his wounds. He poured in the oil and the wine. He picks him up and puts him on his own donkey. He's going to inconvenience himself. How many of you know he ain't got nothing to ride now? He's going to have to walk himself. He puts him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Every single act of this Samaritan demonstrates compassion. Amen. It, it demonstrated a compassion as he responded, amen, to a practical need in an unselfish way. He put his own, amen, he put, him, he put his own self out. Amen. He, he put the individual on his own donkey, had to ride or had to walk and allow that man to ride. When he got to the end, he pulls out his own money. And pays for his room and board. The Bible says that he took out he takes out uh, two denarii or or two pence in the King James, and he hands them to the innkeeper. Two denarii or two pence. I got to look it up. What that was? It was about three to four days' wages. It would have paid for about 20 to 24 days in the inn. He says to the man, you take care of him. And if that's not enough, I'm not only going to get involved. I'm not only going to give my time. I'm not only going to inconvenience myself by having to walk into town. I'm not only going to carry him to the inn. I'm not only going to bring him in and get him bed or in the bed and get him rested. I'm going to pull out my money. Amen. I'm not just going to pay. I'm going to pay for 24 days. And if that's not enough, I'm going to go the extra mile. <laughs> Hello. Amen. And if that's not enough, when I return, you put it on my tab and I'll take care of the tab when I come back on my way by. If that's not enough, then when I return, I'll take care of it. Do, do you see compassion in that? 
Do you see someone that went out of their way to help? I bet, I bet Catherine, I bet Catherine in 1964, in the month of March, would have wished that someone would have walked out of their apartment and come down the stairs and take a hold of that that moron, if you will, and, and literally save her life. But no one got involved. That animal killed her because no one got involved. There are people that are perishing along the road of life this morning because too many of God's people do not get involved. And yes, it will cost us something. We'll have to give up some of our selfish desires. We'll have to give up some of our time. We'll have to give up some of our efforts. We'll have to give up some of our money. We'll have to be put out in order to help out. Hello? But God is looking for someone that has a real compassion that's willing to pay the price to see something done. Let me conclude the story. Look at verse number 36. Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? Which, which of these individuals? Was it the priest? Well, the priest looked like he was doing everything right. Can you say amen? I mean, from the outside, folks would have went, that there's a good man coming home from the temple, doing the things of God. But he was much too busy to be involved. The Levite, a godly person, sees the need. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, I don't want to give up too much of my time. I don't, want to, I don't want to give up too much of my savings. I don't want to help. I don't want to get involved. But the man is bleeding and dying on the roadway. Here comes a Samaritan. He doesn't even know the God of Israel, but he had enough compassion in his spirit to say something has to be done. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was neighbor? Boy, I'm telling you what, Jesus has a way of defining who neighbor is. Right? Neighbor is not just those good folks that do good things back to us. Neighbor is folks we don't even know. This guy could have been a scoundrel laying in the ditch, but his 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 need should, should trump his worth. He is part of God's children. And he needs to be assisted and pointed in the right direction. I want to tell you this morning, we are in that same situation today. Jesus says, who do you think of the three was neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? The scholar can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. In verse 37, he says, he that showed mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan man. 
just the one that showed mercy. And for the second time, Jesus tells this man to do something to inherit eternal life. Now listen, here, here's where I really want you to grab onto what I'm talking about this morning. This man asked Jesus what was essential to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is the essential of getting in, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? I'll tell you who your neighbor is. The neighbor is the scoundrel or the person that's bleeding and hurting and dying along the road of life, and you have a responsibility to help. They're not worthy of my time. They're not worthy of my effort. I got news for you. Real compassion doesn't measure whether they are worthy. Real compassion just simply sees the need. He who showed mercy in Jesus said to this scholar the second time, I'm telling you, Jesus had a way of slapping him right upside the head and telling him he's right. <laughs> For the second time, he says, you're right. That's correct. The one that showed compassion. And he says to him, you go and do likewise. Now, if you want, inherit, if you want in, to inherit in eternal life, then you go and do likewise. And some will and some won't. And what will we do? What will we do this morning? Let me close. The story that Jesus shares in this setting of scripture is separating the person who has a real relationship with God and a mere form of religion. There are a lot of religious people that are willing to flip on the light, holler out the window, and go back to bed. Because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Jesus tells this story, amen, to separate those who have true relationship and those who have mere religion. We see what religious folks look like. We see what folks did when they saw the man's need and saw him bruised and battered along the road. They just simply kept on walking. In fact, they crossed the street, but, but the priest passes by, the Levite passes by, but the Samaritan stops, heals, loves, gives, and goes the extra mile and says, if there's anything more I can do, put it on my account. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to do what I can do. I, I want you to know that Jesus shared this story this morning to show us that there is a difference between being religious and making a difference for God. He shared this story with us to show us that there is a difference between just merely being religious and making a difference for God. There are churches this morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wind it down. There are churches this morning who are dwindling in number. And they are looking for the next program or the next uh, marketing strategy. 
to gather numbers, to put them over the top. Listen, I'm all for programs and I'm all for advertising and marketing and and you know and web presence and a footprint in the city and all of I'm all for all of those things, but it boils down to a whole lot something more simpler than that. It boils down to do we care? And do we care enough to become involved? Do we see others who have need and turn a blind eye and let them exist in their misery and in their desperation? Or are we willing to go to them and reach out a loving hand and say, let me pray with you. Let me tell you someone who cares. Let me share with you that someone loves you. What can I do to ease your burden? What can I do to help? That's what God is looking for. Stop passing up an opportunity to make a difference in the world. I want you to take that home with you this morning. Stop passing up an opportunity to make a difference in this world. Because it doesn't matter how many toys you collect. A man's life consists not of the abundance of the things that he possesses. It's not what your bank account holds. When you die, they're just going to be fodder for somebody else. The only thing that matters is what have I done? for the kingdom of God? Have I lived a life of compassion that said I'm willing to put myself out and inconvenience me so I can help someone else? And I close with these words, some will, some won't. But what will we do Bow your heads, please. How easy it is for us, how easy it is for us to oftentimes slip into that mode of operation in our life. We're too busy to be involved. We have too many irons in the fire. We don't want to become involved. We don't want any trouble. If it's going to cost me something, I'm I'm certainly not willing to go there. How easy it is for us to climb in that operation, that mode of operation in our life. But let me tell you, when we do, we become selfish and inward And we neglect those who are hurting and those who are perishing and those who are crying out for help. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the help of the Holy Spirit in ministering the word that we have ministered this morning.
I'm, I'm thankful, Heavenly Father, that I felt your anointing and felt your presence and felt your spirit direct and guide and lead and give me utterance to speak. Now I pray that you would allow it to fall upon ears that are touched of God to hear and receive. The enemy that would like to come and steal this seed away. I pray, Lord, you would rebuke the devourer. And I pray, Father, that what's been planted in our hearts, we will not just be a hearer of it, but that we will become a doer of it. That we will not just flip on the light and holler from the 10th floor and go back to bed. But, Father, that we will turn on the light and holler from above and make our way down the stairs and pick up and pour in love and pour in the oil and the wine of the Holy Spirit. Bind up the brokenhearted and the wounded and the oppressed. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the cost, we may be inconvenienced, but help us to remember, Lord, we've been bought with a price. We've been bought with the price of the precious blood of Jesus, and we've been sent into the laborer's field to labor for our Lord. Let us be willing to give. Let us be willing to offer. Let us be willing to uphold and encourage and strengthen and help others. Let your word take root in our spirit and let it bring about a change in our relationship with you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Are you here this morning and you would be willing to slip up your hand and say, Pastor Gary, you preached the message right at me this morning. I, I see hands that are going up. I see hands going up. You preached the message for me this morning. I, I've taken my eyes off of the needs of others. I've gotten busy with life and busy with other things and I've taken my eyes off of the needs of those around me. Is there anyone else you'd slip your hand up? Say, that's me. I see that hand. Stand to your feet, please. Stand to your feet, please. Let me pray with those that lifted their hands. Heavenly Father, in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus, you said the righteous were as bold as a lion. And Father, I pray right now for those that have lifted their hands, that have withdrawn, and at times said, I don't want to become involved. I don't, I don't want to put myself out. Lord, they've acknowledged that this morning. Let I pray the boldness of a lion flood their spirit and flood their heart and let them rise up. Rise up, Lord, I pray, to confront the enemy in the lives of others so that they may be a help and a witness and a light and an instrument through which you can meet the needs of others. An instrument that you can heal the brokenhearted and those who are hurting and those who are in need. I pray, God, these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen. Go ahead.